Hey, welcome back to Cairo London's podcast and today I can't wait to have a chat with Vismai Schonfelder. Now we've had a long-term connection. We basically went to school together uh, from about the age of five uh, and even though he was just the year beneath me, he hung out with my brother a little bit more than me, he ended up at chiropractic school just at the same time I was. However, he took a break from Cairo school, ended up in West Africa living with some tribal people and then basically got really ill, had to be airlifted to London where he was in coma, in a coma for about 10 days and basically died and came back to life and, and has um, quite an amazing story to tell about that whole adventure and how it gave him a, a massive new perspective on life and health. So it's been great chatting to Vismai. Um, we also talk about uh, his 13 years of successful practice as a chiropractor in Holland and the journey that he's made now to be living in Bali and commuting up to Singapore, whereby he's just opened up his new studio practice in Singapore. Um, at the same time, his kids, who are, I think they're about 17 and 19 now, are rocking this amazing brand called Nalu, which is a fashion brand, but it's an amazing example of social enterprise and giving back to the planet so others can benefit. So I hope you enjoy this one. About halfway through for you chiropractors, there is some gold in there about how Vismai connects with his clients now and he's done it he did it successfully in Holland for 13 years and he's doing it again now in Singapore and it's all about sort of I guess growing or connecting with your tribe and aligning yourself with the values of or you know trying to gather a group of like-minded people together so that you guys uh, you know patients and the chiropractors providing the service can all be heading in the same direction so quite an insightful section there about halfway through I hope you enjoy this one I certainly did good afternoon good morning London <laughs> Good evening or late afternoon, Singapore. Yes, afternoon, five o'clock here. Very good. Mate, it's been a little overdue, a catch-up. Yes. I was actually thinking before I got on the call, you know, we went to kindergarten together, we went to primary school together. I rode my bike with your brother for seven years every day to school and then I went to chiropractic college with you. So we've just got such a nice long relationship and then you know you came to europe and we we're in europe for years and mm -hmm. uh, we crossed paths many times then and then we you know then you moved away and i've kind of lost track to be honest over the last almost decade and looking forward to you know filling in some of the gaps as to what you've been doing but yes welcome thank you Hey, so I don't know if you've really clocked it, but sort of at the start of this mad year that we've had, I decided it was a good idea to sort of start doing a few of these Instagram lives and I turned them into podcasts and I started with interviewing, well, we now have 19 chiropractors in our little group in London and I started interviewing all these guys and I got to know them really well and then we kind of ran out of chiropractors to interview. So then I'm like, well... 
what else can I do? I was was enjoying the concept of just having a a conversation with people. And then I expanded it into two different groups where there are kind of like other chiropractors that I really wanted to have a chat to. And then maybe just people of influence who actually come into the clinic as well. Um, And probably the other group are these kind of local businesses that we really want to try and get in and support and help them through what is a fairly challenging year. So great idea. So here we are. So, but look, a, a quick summary, mad life you've led there, mate. Um, um, mm-hmm. uh, let's have a quick review. You, uh, we obviously went to school together, uni. You took a year out of uni, went on this kind of like world tour, ended up mm-hmm. in deepest, darkest West Africa or something, kind of mm-hmm. nearly died. There's a link into Putney Chiropractic there that we'll explore, right? There's a big link, yes, <laughs> that I'm very great, eternally grateful for. And then you ended up, uh, I guess, finishing your degree and then, you know, a few years go by, you're in Europe, you have a practice in Europe for 16 years and then now you're, I believe, living in Bali and Singapore as two homes, right? Yes, yeah, we have our chiropractic studio in Singapore but we live on Bali. Okay. Cool. So where do you want to start, mate? I mean, uh, you, you, uh, as I first knew you as Paul Schoenfelder in, I'd forgotten yes. we went to kindergarten together um, uh, way back in the day, but we went through primary school and secondary school. Um, my, our parents live about, I don't know, less than a kilometre from each other still. Mm-hmm. Still do, yes. Mm. And, yeah, there's interesting the paths that we've actually taken. So... Um, maybe just go, cause obviously, you know, there, there was, there was lots of different, I guess we had very similar experiences and upbringings as we went. Um, maybe I should ask you that question as to what got you interested in becoming a chiropractor in the very first place. Uh, it was my father actually, cause I was thinking of studying medical science. I thought, you know, I had really good grades at high school and it was my dad that said to me. I'm not sure if that's really going to fit your personality. He said, um, although it's really prestigious, you know, to go and study medicine or go and study physiotherapy, he said, um, let's just look a lot more into chiropractic because chiropractic really supports this natural health care. So he said, you know, you've always loved playing around in nature. For as long as I know you, you've been collecting tadpoles, enjoying jogging around the lake in the middle of winter. You've always enjoyed the outdoor sports and hiking and surfing and the ocean and sunsets. And he said, why, didn't, why don't you just go and explore a health care that supports the natural cleverness of the body? And I'd never really thought about chiropractic like that until that moment, actually. So it was Dad who – I was actually thinking about being a drummer too because I got into the Conservatorium of Music. My dad was a drummer. So I had that as a choice, actually, in the end, chiropractic or drumming. And once again, it came back to this natural tendency that chiropractic has. So that was probably the biggest driving force. And then we, went, we just went and spent a bit of time with some local chiropractors in Ballarat. And my chiropractor at the time, Lorraine, she was just a huge influence on me to be involved with a profession where I use my hands and I talk about the natural cleverness of the body the whole time and through the chiropractic adjustment. It was just a great framework and a great vehicle to to help people and share that through the community right so cool so then um was that where then you obviously were like okay this is a a great thing to study and then i assume maybe you got halfway through a pretty intensive 
like training program in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And did your did your brain just kind of go? Actually, I need a little bit of a break from this before I actually complete. Well, once again, you know, you know, dads and mums, they've got this great way of, you know, I, I went to chiropractic school straight after high school and it was my dad after third year, I was about to go into clinic and he said, you can't even look after yourself yet, let alone go and help people. He said, why don't you go and see the world? And he also said, you know, once you're a chiropractor, you make a nice salary and you can work wherever you go. So he said, it's too easy. Go and see the world when you don't have any money. He th- you know, he said, you're so young now, why would you want to just get into that part of studies just yet? So once again, it was, it was my parents that just gave me a gentle nudge and they said, you know, I'd always been such a curious kid. So they said, you know, go and, you know, we can see you're enjoying Melbourne, we can see you're enjoying university, but we can also see the perils of limiting your life as a development. So they were always into many different parts of, development of us children actually my mum and dad even though they were very simple folk my dad was a postman my mum was a stay-at-home mother they always increased um, induced curiosity in us you know they always just were always happy to introduce us to people that would just think differently to how they thought which was looking back on it one of the greatest gifts my parents ever exposed me to so after third year I decided to take a year off I went travelling. It was only going to be a 12-month um, a trip. And I went travelling with my mate Dave. He's also a chiropractor, Dave Griffiths. And we went uh, to Thailand, Nepal and India. And I just got into the culture, the music, the religion, the food, the textiles of all these different cultures. And I just continued that journey for that 12 months, of course. Just to cut a long story short, I ended up in Ghana in West Africa. And I was living with a tribe. I didn't see any white people for quite a few months, actually. I was living naked on the beach, and our day was very much hunter-gatherer. We were just fishing at night. We'd row out in these big dugout tree boats. You know, these big, strong, black Ghanaian men would be rowing the boat, and I'd, up, I'd be up the front drumming on the djembe. That was one of the reasons I went to Ghana was to learn the djembe. And then in the mornings, we'd come in, and these beautiful, big-breasted, big bum sort of African women with the most intensely beautiful voices, they'd just sing us in. And then all the fish would come in and that was my life, you know, for months. And then I collapsed there. I got really sick. So I woke up one morning and I felt like I'd taken LSD. It was like this, I was kind of fine to look at. I didn't have, you know, to look at I was fine, but I just felt this really intense trip coming up in my body where inevitably that made me really ill quite quickly and then I collapsed falling out of a bus actually on the on the the road in Accra which is the main city of Ghana my last memory of Ghana was all these black people leaning over me with all strange voices going on and I remember being disoriented because I was looking at the ground and I could see the sky and then slowly literally like a movie ending the curtain just went just really slowly like that and then the next time I woke up was in London, in St. George's Tooting, not far from your practice. I literally live about a stone's throw from that right now. Yeah, so I've got the, the most life-changing, impactful memories ever. And, of course, chiropractic's a funny thing, right? The universe works in really strange ways. So the previous owner of you know, Putney Chiropractic was Cameron Potter, he was the brother of a guy I live with, Brad. But I'd never met Cam. And Brad, before I left Melbourne, he just 
on the back of one of these little post-it notes, he said, oh, if you need a couch, here's my brother's number. You know, look him up when you're in London. But I'd never met Cam. So his name was on the inside of my travel diary, just on a yellow post-it note. So they, they didn't know who I was. And I had no friends in London and no family in London. So they just phoned Cam. And they said, oh, have you heard of this guy, Paul Schottfelder? And Cam's like, well, we've heard of him, but we've, we don't know him. But his first thing, this is how beautiful this is, he says, how can we help him? Is he in trouble? He didn't. He just wanted to help. Mm. And I'd never met the guy. So Cameron became my next of kin. And yeah, he was yeah. a chiropractor and he came around to me. He really kept me alive, Cam, because he came around once or twice, I'm not sure, every day, but at the same time. And that was the only thing, you know, in a coma where I was breathing 60 times a minute because I had pneumonia, so it was just the top left lobe of my lung working. My resting heart rate was 120 beats a minute. All the skin had peeled off my hands because I picked up an infection there. And I was making these really spastic, uncontrolled movements. I was 99% deaf. I couldn't speak. Um, and the, the life support machine had burst all the capillaries in my eyes. So when I was seeing, uh, I looked like I was looking through a block of Swiss cheese, you know. But Cameron <laughs> came, and when he came, he just held my hand. And, you know, he, he was just there for me, Cameron and Sally. They were just um, unbelievable. And then they even housed my dad and my brother in their very small Putney, London apartment for the weeks and weeks that mum and dad used to, dad and my brother used to go to the hospital every day to see me. How did you even get from Ghana to London? Yeah. Did you know? Or? I got airlifted. So I had, I got accompanied by a, a Ghanaian doctor from the local hospital, which was set up for the expats there. Yeah. Luckily, that's interesting. I was leaving Gatwick Airport and for the first time in my life, I thought, oh, I'm going to Africa alone. I might buy travel insurance. So I just bought some healthcare travel insurance, and back then my health, my hospital bill was two hundred and seventy thousand English pounds in nineteen ninety six. So I think oh. if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have lived. So I had an um, a medical evacuation from Ghana, yeah. and then they took me to, I think it was St Andrews Hospital. Then they didn't want me there, so they put me on the roof into a helicopter, which I've got a vague memory of. So I flew in a helicopter then to Tooting. And then I woke up in quarantine, so everybody was wearing those space suits and, you know, they just didn't know what I had, actually. So they could yeah. see it in my blood, but they just called it a gram-negative septicemia. Yeah, right. And that's, that's the closest you've got to a diagnosis as to sort of how it all or what actually happened. And then, you know, but you're in, you're in tooting for months, were you? Um, I was in tooting for, um, well, I was in my coma for 10 days. I was in a medically-induced coma for 10 days. That's a story in itself because just just before, because my heart stopped and I actually died, my heart stopped for uh, about 60 seconds, but just my parents were actually in Singapore on the way over to me and I was, I thought, oh, I just can't hang on anymore. So I said a few last words to this nurse, Karen. She wrote them down on a piece of paper and I've still got that piece of paper. And I recommend anybody that can't be with their family right now, just pick up your phone straight away and send send a text to your parents and um, anyone that you love and just tell them that you love them, you know, because that's what I did in the moment. I see your mum's just on the phone. Look, hi, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Haven't seen you for a long time. Um, well, so I know, think we've got, I think Mark's there as well, uh, my brother. Oh. Um, and I see your daughter's there as well, right? Hey, darling. Oh, this is nice. See, we've got a nice reunion. I love you guys all so much. But anyway, so I... I said these last words to my family and I was completely fine with death. 
I was, the moment that I chose, you know, I've had such a wonderful life. I just wanted my parents and my family to know that I wasn't ill, that I wasn't not ill, I wasn't in pain and that I was completely at ease. It was the most beautiful surrendering to the moment and that's echoed with me for my whole life. I've never left that moment since. So, and of course it's shaped my chiropractic career enormously. Yeah. So, in fact, speaking of my brother, I think it was that thing where then you finally did recover and leave the UK, and you ended up studying chiropractic or rejoining the degree a year or so later. But you ended up living with my brother for a period of time. But I believe yeah. in a teepee in the garden, though, right? Yes, I was. Well, I'd been travelling all the time, right? And then all of a sudden, I was sitting in these lecture theatres with TL lighting and no pressure. So I thought, at least at night, I'm just going to live in a teepee. It's a bit unconventional, but I, I did cheat, though, I must say, because I got some electricity from the house and I had a really nice little heater, electric heater in the, in the, um, in the TP. But so that, that's also know, just... I think that experience has obviously set up uh, your life's journey as well, where there's periods of time where you kind of enter into kind of like a, you know, a normal-ish existence where you... you uh, you studied chiropractic, you finished the degree, and then you had a practice in Holland for 16 years or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So my wife, Jyoti, she's Dutch. Yeah. And we actually just went to Holland on a short holiday. We were pregnant with our first child, Dali. But when we got there, her mum got a diagnosis that she was going to die with cancer. So we didn't feel the energy to leave, of course, you know. So I'm very grateful I got to have the last three years of um, Dalka's life. And we just, I just started adjusting people. So 16 years later, or actually it was 13 years later, we, um, we decided to have a break from chiropractic and we went traveling, homeschooled the children. We actually had a five year holiday, which was beautiful. And we meandered around the world. What year did that start then? When did you leave Holland? 2013. Oh, we left Holland in 2011 um, in, and we had a 12 month sabbatical then. And we'd been saving for that actually just 10 euros a day for about eight years. And we sort of set up this dream of like, you know, you've all got your dreams, right? That was our bucket list to have our kids homeschool them and travel the world for a bit. But actually when the moment came, we had quite a marriage crisis. And that was the window of opportunity to say, hey, let's, let's get this together. So we left with a one-way ticket and four day bags to Nepal to Kathmandu, we didn't have a hotel booked. And that was the start of five years of traveling. And it ended with six months in the city of New York. So we had a bit of city, a bit of country, um, a bit of nature, lots of different cultures, and it was fantastic. So when did you move or settle down in Bali then? Was that sort of towards, uh, just after New York? Uh, that was that had been on and off. So yeah, we went okay. to Bali in 2013 after yeah. we sold our chiropractic office and we put the children on the green school there in Bali and Jyoti had a job as a chiropractor in Ubud. So that was the start of it. And since then we built and designed our own house there and we live, we're all mad surfers so we live really close to the ocean there. But after, of course, five years of work, you kind of run out of money and you kind of run out of, you know, I just got a bit sick of myself and I think Jody got a bit sick of me too. So we, I said, oh, I really want to work, but no one was really keen to leave Bali. You know, Finn was finishing high school and so I said, well, I'll, I'll go, I'll fly up and back to Singapore every week. 
And that was the start of it. But, of course, that all come to a crashing halt with COVID. So we've had quite a lot of time apart this year. So just go into that then because I, I, I've uh, missed out on that little bit of information too where did with chiropractic in Singapore, uh, there's probably a few people in London, of, you know, that I, I had a patient who literally may look you up actually. I gave him your details uh, who, uh, again, a bit of a COVID, you know, been challenged by the COVID by his fiancés in Singapore and he's been in London and they haven't really been able to see each other. So uh, he's currently doing a quarantine in a Singapore hotel right now and he'll probably okay, yeah. come and get an adjustment when he's out. Um, yeah, sure. But did you, uh, is, is there a big group of practices within Singapore that you ended up working for? Is that sort of what happened or? No, well, I mean, there's not many chiropractors here. We're very yeah. underserviced actually in Singapore and the Singapore government does a thorough due diligence of people. Um, so it, it's, it's a challenge to get established here. There are a few really big chiropractic chains here in Singapore. Some of the biggest companies in the world of chiropractic are here with lots of branches. And then there's a very small group called the Alliance of Chiropractic Singapore, full of really juicy, enthusiastic young chiropractors just wanting to make a change here. So that's a, it's a small group, but it's really active, and I, I really value that. Um, so then I worked for a company for about 12 to 18 months, which initially was set up as a sort of an interim period to cover a person who was still getting their work permit. And then after that finished, I went back to Bali for a while and then um, come and set up our own small practice here, which I'm in right now. I'm going to show you. <laughs> this is a is. very small chiropractic office, but it's it's super super humble, but super nice. Yeah. So good because um, that looks great, man. and that's uh, that's is that somewhere central Singapore or? Yeah, I'm like a three minute drive from Orchard Road, which is the main road here. Yeah. I live in a really you know, charming sort of neighbourhood that hasn't. Um, had development, so all the architecture is still quite original from before the inception of the independence of Singapore. But Singapore is a great city. It's a world city. It's got old architecture, new architecture, all the major bands and all the major shows and theatres and artists, they all do part of their world tour in Singapore. It's got a very double economy. What I love about Singapore is you can go for dinner for $3 a night and sit with 500 Singaporeans and enjoy a noodle and things like this. But then, like, 10 metres down the road, you can pay $2,000 for a bottle of wine and eat in a Michelin star. And it's everything in between. And I find that such a healthy, you know, it's not such a monoculture. I just love multiculture. I think it's a, Singapore is an amazing experiment that so many cultures and so many religions can safely live together here in harmony, actually. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. I love your practice. It's, uh, I love that kind of clean line, simple look, um, tables out in the main bed, and you've got that little room out the back, I guess, for a, uh, you know, a initial chat or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, so that's where I do my initial consults up in the back there. Yeah, it's only fifty-two square meters. It's uh, yeah. a really small thing, and I have I rotate the artists every um, six, four to six months. Our daughter's an artist, so I like to support artists. But that's it. You know, it's really. Yeah. Um, Minimal and low key. Yeah. And the main ingredient being the air conditioning, right? Yes, very much so. <laughs> well, I'm a bit used to the humidity now. Yeah. Uh, so how's it been? Because um, we had this virtual UCA conference uh, a couple of weeks ago and 
Brian Kelly started it off, and he you, you remember Brian Kelly from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from well he was in fifth year when I was in first year um, back at RMIT, but he's gone from academia to now back in Auckland, and he's just in the last two years set up a practice from scratch again, probably very similar <laughs> to what you're doing right now. So, how are you enjoying the challenges and the journey of like just opening the door and saying? Hi, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it comes with its challenges, of course, but it comes also with um, a lot of anticipation and I guess I reflect on myself if I still got it to build a successful practice and things like that. Um, I think one thing that you got in Putney is you've got a huge heritage and when you've got a long heritage, that makes navigating times like COVID a lot easier because people understand your values and you've been you've been standing the test of time for so long. I don't have that at all, so it's a very raw, naked sort of build-up. Um, so I, I knew that I'm going to have to require other tools to help get people share my message. So I wrote a book actually, and this has been a great this has been a great tool to have people um, kind of share you know, as an easy tool to share my message. And that's in about 40 bookstores across the, um, across the city. So that's been good. Um, right. I guess it's, um, you know, chiropractic, we're always kind of like the fringe dwellers of the healthcare system. So I notice early on I'm attracting a lot of fringe dwellers from society, and I, I do like that. So it's for me it's like I'm not trying to, let's say, convert people into chiropractic care. I'm more busy with... I don't know, trying to hunt down people that have shared values with me and it's like a lock meeting a key kind of thing, you know, that perfect fit. So I'd rather have a slow and steady build and fill my my vibe with people who live a chiropractic life but had never been to the chiropractor before, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a great opportunity, isn't it, um, where you can literally build it from scratch and build it the way you want it to be built. You know? um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot often. of intentional design going into it, Craig. It's like it looks very simple, but the, the engineering behind that has just got a lot, a lot of thought. Every material that I bring into the practice, I like it to promote natural health care on a subliminal level. Um, I like it to promote the cleverness of the body. That's why I use real art on the walls and you know, that's made by artists that somehow are tuned into that intelligence of the planet and they do their art through that. I like people that have a holistic tendency as opposed to a reductionistic tendency. That's very easy to determine now because of COVID, you know. Um, and I also like people that are friendly, you know. I just I, I tend to like friendly people and friendly people tend to have friendly relationships with their body. And chiropractic is a nice choice for people who have a friendly relationship with their body because it's one of the friendliest, naturalist, holistic things you can do for your body, the chiropractic adjustment. Mm. So I, I really like to link you, the chiropractic adjustment with those preconceived values that people have. I'm assuming Singapore is the same as probably around the planet where people are probably being or definitely being more friendly to their bodies based out of probably some sort of desire to be healthier because you know when you're in the middle of like this global pandemic then there's, there's obviously too much focus in on this miracle savior but still there is this undercurrent of well i better start looking after myself because you know i need my immune system to be firing at its best right yeah that's that's definitely been a way a logical 
um, exploration, I guess, for people that have had a lot more time to consider uh, where they're at. So I do notice, especially, I don't know, it's probably my phase of life, but I do notice a lot of men between the age of 45 and 55, particularly, have had time just to consider their family life, their health, their spiritual life, their emotional stability, um, their exercise routines, their habits, their body weight, just things that they've never really stopped to really consider, you know. Mm. And I do notice that's a nice, fresh thing, and chiropractic really fits that mould and that, that, that need really, really well, actually. So do you, I guess it's still tricky with travel, but is Yoti still in Bali, is she? Yeah, yeah. Her and Finn live on Bali. Our daughter, Dali, she lives in Amsterdam. So we didn't see each other for seven months, Greg. <laughs> that was quite a, quite a thing. And we just had two months in Europe, though, which was lovely. We had two months travelling around Europe and um, reconnected with the family. But then I'm back here now and they're back on Bali, so I can't really leave. I, I just did my quarantine here. And it's quite intense to be in a hotel room where you can't open the window, you don't see any fresh sunlight, you don't breathe any fresh air. I mean, it's, it's a luxury five-star hotel, so I'm not complaining, but it's still... Luckily, you don't, I didn't realise what I was going through while I was in it. It's more like after it, you're a bit socially a bit weird and it's, it's all a bit, okay, you know, you're back around people. I know. So is that because that, that's with Singapore, you weren't really allowed to leave back in the air, back when it all started off, right? So that's why you didn't see each other for seven months. But um... Yeah, so actually Jyoti didn't have a, work, a permit to come here and I didn't have one for Indonesia because I, my permits, my residency is now in Singapore. So we're actually residents in different countries now. And that just <laughs> happened just because of COVID. We were all busy with the whole process of getting everybody's residency here, but the Singapore government just stopped it all mm. when COVID started. Okay. Well, it's cool you had some time together in Europe, but then let's just hope it all returns to normal fairly soon. And now, I guess, like you literally, I think, were building this in this kind of lockdown, your new clinic, right? And then mm. you finally opened, you've probably just reopened it all again and, and starting from yeah. the end, pretty much. So. so I had it open for two weeks, then lockdown happened, 10 weeks, nothing. Then I worked in it for a few months and then went to Europe. And kind of beginning again, but um, luckily I've got a really high retention with uh, my clients, the ones that choose. You know, I have, of course, I have a few people that come a couple of times and it's not for them and they stop. But the ones that tend to stay for longer than, let's say, four to six weeks with the care, they do tend to get a bit deeper into the work and they see the benefits that chiropractic can have on their life at large. So luckily I do have a good retention. So most of my, I'd say 95% of my clients have came back after I came back from Europe. Cool. So you touched on that point nicely and I was going to ask you this about your practice in Holland. You have this reputation of having quite a following within the, the Dutch community of exactly that, where you, you, you aligned with a lot of people who really enjoyed what you're offering and then you know most practices across you know any practice has or any business relies on a certain number of new people coming into the business to be able to keep it um, flowing and to keep it growing right um, whereas I think that's the thing that you did quite well is that you're able to exist without much new input because you were doing such a good job with the community of people that you uh, were working with 
So mm. tell us a little bit about that. And, and you know, I'm a, that's not something that happens overnight as well, like you've just experienced. But, you know, because the practice in Holland, you didn't set up from scratch either, though, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, you did. So therefore, you obviously know, at least you know you've actually got the, you know, the score on the board to actually do it again. Um, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> no assumptions. <laughs> but uh, but that's the thing is yeah you obviously made all those uh, had all those challenges at the start of a thirteen year journey in Holland. How long do you think it took you to actually get to the point where you didn't really need that much new input to your own personal practice to um, to you know to to thrive in that way? Um, well, if you don't count the first three years, because I really didn't have that much of a clue what I was doing in a sense. I was just sort of trying to be everything to everyone and to please everybody that came in. But that kind of, I guess I got a bit tired from that and I got, um, I had quite a lot of confusing things, you know. I, I noticed like certain yoga teachers really liked the work and another yoga teacher didn't like the work. And then I'd noticed that one radiology really liked chiropractic and another radiology was totally anti. So I was like, how is that? You know, they both do the same thing. But I I was at a talk actually at Cairo Europe one night and I was just having a beer at the bar and I just eavesdropped on a conversation from Dr. Guy Reekman. And he said, listen, there's four conversations that your clients have. They're fundamental. They either think their body's clever or they don't. And these are spectrums, so they're not black and white. So think they're clever or they don't. They think their body's a part of nature or they don't. They think their body's a whole system, or they think their body's made up of parts. And the last thing is they've got a friendly relationship with their body, or they don't. And that was the fundamental work that I was looking for. That was discovered by a guy called Dr. Ian Coulter, who was the president of the Canadian Board of Chiropractic. He wrote about this. And I went up to my hotel room that night with a post-it note and I filled the whole wall with all my favourite clients and I went through each and every one of them with where do they fit this spectrum, where do they fit this conversation and that was the start of like 10 years of decoding the people who I loved and the people who loved me and now, yeah, so the answer is it probably took five years before I didn't really, you know, I used to see one or two new people per year without having a decrease in my um, practice numbers and that's because not particularly because I was doing this wonderful job or that I was this star chiropractor it wasn't that at all a part of it was the culture of the team we developed and then a big part of it was we really searched for people leading the chiropractic life that hadn't been to a chiropractor before that shared those values so we created this visual analog grading system which is a very unconventional statistic for a chiropractic office like we literally cut out photos of people and we grade them under the yes and the no column and that's kind of how we work now with knowing if we're winning or not so we you've got the conventional statistics like you know your the number of new people you see your revenue the lifetime value of a client um, things like uh number of missed appointments, number of free appointments, child adjustments, senior citizens adjustments, all these kind of statistics, but they just weren't jugular enough for me. They didn't, it didn't somehow breathe a living entity into my practice so that I knew that I was winning. And the other problem I had with all that stuff, it matched my accountant's retrospective quarterly reports, but it was always about something later. I wanted to know, surely there was a metric 
that we could invent that made immediate sense, that we could immediately know if we were winning with this client and if that client was winning with us. So that we didn't have to get into a whole story, we didn't have to get into terms and conditions, we didn't have to um, be a great salesperson, we just had to fit subliminally uh, display our values, those four values, display them, tell the chiropractic story, the truth of it, just how it is, and it was just uh, people said yes to that. It was like they were longing for, for chiropractic. What's great about that, though, is that there is then no judgment on uh, if you align with those four values and are saying yes to all four of them, then you naturally will gravitate to what you're offering. And if you don't, then you're like, well, just stick around for a couple of visits if you actually want to get just a, an immediate fix. But then see you later sort of thing and sort of say, well, you know, that's not your journey at this point in time. That's mm. that's just sort of a – it's sort of you need to – you know, if you stay within this, it'll be a certain amount of frustration or a certain amount of, you know, um, not it won't be cohesive in, in their experience, I guess. And, that's and, a big word, what you just said there, and that's where I find the easy drive with chiropractic. Once you get that insight of matching values and not having to be everybody to everybody and certainly not it's it's a, not a judgment thing i don't i don't i definitely don't want to force people to think like me not at all i don't i just want them to think but i i kind of like i just prefer to collect people that really share those values because life is just inevitably so much easier i can actually show you because i do it now just starting the practice now i can show you how we do it because it's a it's a very unconventional um statistic actually for chiropractic offices so i have it here we, we go through it with the team extremely so i have like this is my yes board and i literally have a photo of all the people that say yes to chiropractic and we've got a scorecard for why they've said yes you know everything from the holidays they go on the clothing they wear the comments they make the magazines they pick up in my waiting room the way they treat my ca um yeah, just the little comments they make about nature, the little comments they make about the cleverness of their body. And then I also have a list for the people that say no. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, they, they might come for a few times to mechanically get their body fixed and chiropractic serves them nicely in that regard. But it, um, it's, you know, that's kind of, how it, uh, kind of how it is, you know. And then I just go top heavy on the people who share the values because they've also got friends that share the values. And as the momentum builds, then the values match. And then, of course, a high retention rate is kind of like an inevitable outcome with that methodology, you know. So I kind of see, like, the value hunting as the strategy and then the, the tactics are all stuff that we can share and copy from one another and, you know, cut and paste. You can learn that on a weekend and implement on a on a Monday back at your chiropractic office, but the strategy of value hunting, that is something that you really need to immerse in. And it really takes quite a few years to really, really develop that skill of spotting those clients. Mate, thanks for sharing that. That's uh, insightful. But it's, it's also something I was almost assuming would be a questionnaire you'd have, but it's obviously couldn't be further than a questionnaire. It's literally as your uh, with someone, you are just noticing stuff mm -hmm. and you're kind of mentally making a judgment as to whether or not 
you know, what, what, what side of the fence they, they lie on, you know. And, yeah, not, so not it's a big data it. bank. It's yeah. a big data bank that gets built, actually, Craig. It's, um, it's definitely not – it goes a lot further than, like, you know, when you get those surveys. Do you mind holding the line and we just have a three-minute survey for you? It's, it goes well beyond – you know, how are we doing for you? You know, it, it's just a lot more subtle and it, it takes a lot more skill and it takes a lot more immersion. You've just got to be around it for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, my table talk is always bent back to those four values. I don't care what they're talking about, what people talk about. You can talk about the real estate market in Australia, fixing a bike, mm. uh, a divorce, um, COVID, or you can talk about almost anything, but I like to bend... In the moment that the adjustment's administered, I like to bend that conversation back to one of those values, holism, naturalism, vitalism, humanism. They're the values that I like to bring, bring it back to. And when you start, at least I noticed, when I started doing that, I'm not really selling chiropractic per se. It's more like we're matching chiropractic values with people's values. Yeah. Wow. So have you actually bothered to make a long list of things that you actually want to be sort of uh, assessing or not necessarily? It's all in your head. No, no, we have very objective lists, definitely. Yeah, yeah no, we have like now with my new chiropractic assistant, we make a, an extremely deep scorecard. Hmm. Yeah. Of each person, yeah. Of each person, of each conversation, of each tendency. It's it's a very objective metric. There's, yeah. there's no wishy-washy idea. You're vitalist, you're mechanist. It's very objective. It sounds all a bit feely and all a bit how do you pick up values from people, mm. but it's actually very concrete and it's very replicable also actually. But that goes back into that thing where, you know, well, there's, there's normally a point whereby someone decides to either continue on with chiropractic for a long-term viewpoint or they don't and they stop. And I can imagine in the way that what you're doing there, you're just not actually, you're not surprised when you get to that point and then they decide to leave because you already knew they were kind of heading that way anyway, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. But as, as time goes on, then the momentum gains in those values that I'm looking for. The other thing with chiropractic, and this is something pertinent to almost every chiropractor. I've been to maybe 350 chiropractic offices. I really love going to chiropractic offices and just seeing how we all do it, you know. It's always a great learning opportunity, actually. And the thing is, it's part of it is like, you know, they've got different values, but that's only half of the equation. The other big part of the equation, because you, as chiropractors, we miss a lot of lifetime clients just by a fraction. You just miss the beat just by a fraction, and those people with shared values actually leave, mm. you know. And the reason for that is it's, it's a thing that I've designed. It's called a vortex, and basically I think I've got about three months when a new client presents, I've got three months to get them a bit deeper into my vortex. At the start, you know, 99% of people come to us with a symptom. Very rarely do you have someone just want to come just because they want to be healthy, you know. They want to come because they've got something to complain about, so they step into your vortex. But when the symptoms go, if you don't replace that lack of symptoms with other habits that influence their health and link that to chiropractic, then they leave. You know, people are busy. They want to get home to their families. They don't want to come to the chiropractor. So I set up daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, quarterly rhythms, annual rhythms. 
And some of those rhythms take a while to instill, but some of them are quick to implement. And the quicker I can see that starting to evolve in a person, the more certainty I have that this person will change from dis deciding to go to a chiropractor or deciding each time to buy a package or pay for that next adjustment into forming a habit of chiropractic. And that, that's really different. So symptoms wane, decision wanes, but the habit starts to pick up. And if you can somehow link the habits of what you provide for your complete service of chiropractic, then they get a bit deeper into your vortex. And then people, you know, vortex, although it's a very moving and dynamic structure, it's very stable inside. But the deeper you get into it, the more uh, momentum that you get deeper into it, you know, so the longer you stay in it, the more momentum you have. And then it's very kind of almost so habitual that you don't really want to leave that vortex, you know, because it's just providing so much value and so much um, cleverness for the body. So you, that's, that's the thing that you start to value. I like the way you used the term rhythm, obviously based on some drumming you picked up in Africa. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to a rhythm. People love rhythms. It's, it, I, what I find with rhythm is that, you know, as a leader of a chiropractic office and a chiropractic community, people like to be able to anticipate where you're heading, you know, and a rhythm is great for that. If you just can instill rhythms, people start to anticipate your next open day or your next juice cleanse or your next appointment or, you know, people start to get just deeper and deeper into that. Um, but is, into is that what you mean by rhythms, is that you literally have different things on the calendar of which people can sort of in, involve themselves with? Yeah, well, I've got about 50 rhythms actually, Craig. We've got a whole list. I'll send it to you. I've got about 50 rhythms that... And they, they vary from immediate post-adjustment rhythms through to annual rhythms and they're everything in between. And it's not up for me to determine which ones the clients get into. Like I, might, like I have a newsletter, it's called The Quarterly, and it comes out every quarter. And it's got the same, it's got a rhythm within the rhythm too. So... There we go. Your hey, rhythms hey. are appreciated back in Australia there, I see. I know. I just saw that. Hey, Mark, I can't wait to come to Ocean Grove and have a nice barbecue with you guys. Actually, my friend Mick's also on the call, Grove Cairo. Mark, you need to go and see him. He's, a, he's the best chiropractor in Ocean Grove. <laughs> Get to him. <laughs> You'll be a nice match, actually, you guys. <laughs> Funny. Um, mate, that's good stuff, isn't it? You know, um, this is uh, it's kind of a cool thing that um, just having a seeing what conversation. I do like this long format thing too, where it's not like a rushed conversation or a quick phone call. Um, you know, it's just like a see where it goes. And um, I have no idea where these things go, but they normally go somewhere good. So, I do that, though. Yeah. Hey, we should. Um, but yeah, you know, I think Instagram will kick us off in an hour. So um, I did want to um, talk about. You as a parent, though, because you've done a pretty amazing job of inspiring some lateral thinkers, I guess, should we say, of children. Um, and the whole is how's Nalu doing? Nalu's great. Um, it's we luckily we got rid of we had a shop on Bali last year, but when I started the practice here, um, I we decided to stop the shop. And my daughter Dali, she speaks a lot for Amazon. 
in their big events, especially Women's Empowerment Days and things like that. So we've stopped a bit more the fashion. So Dali does more like corporate events and corporate T-shirts and things like that. Um, but the philanthropic side of it, because we give away one school uniform for every four products that Nalu sells, and that's still going very, very well. Any chiropractors on this call, by the way, we go on an annual giving trip once a year and we adjust hundreds of school children. We always take about 20 chiropractors with us and we distribute the school uniforms and it's wonderful. That's where the children went to school, actually, on one of our years off. We were volunteering there as chiropractors, Jyoti and I, and yeah, the kids just identified the need. All their friends weren't at school one year because the kids got older than 12 and the government stopped paying for school uniforms then. But it's such a great story where uh, I think any business, and including ours as we're growing, are kind of saying that we've definitely got a void in our, I guess you'd call it social enterprise, you know, um, that, that ability to kind of give back in, in, in a way which I, I think, you know, I haven't quite worked out or aligned ourselves with a way that we can effectively give back to our community you know mm, you probably just haven't found something that you're really passionate about yet that's all like that's my biggest advice to anyone wanting to contribute to a need or feel a need is that they they don't do it just for the sake just to feel like they do it out of abundance but more that they identify something that they think that's that's a thing that really needs helping yeah. so we as far as getting bang for your donation dollars go we give a school uniform and that has a huge impact on those kids because some of those kids, we got them back out of homes and into school and some of them are graduated now and they're teaching, they're learning, they're going to the university to learn how to teach and these are kids living on less than a dollar a day so there's no way that one boy out of the family might get to go but there's no way any of the girls would get to go, no way. They would never spend that 10 US dollars because the education is free. As soon as they get the uniform, they can go to school, they get free food, free accommodation, free uh, education, but it's just that $10. So we were like, well, how can this be? How can $10 be mm. such a, a changer? So for us, it's a big no-brainer, and we it's probably still my favourite week of my year going there. We go there every year. We've been doing it since 2011, and... We've given literally, I think, like nine million days of school have come out of the school uniform, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there in itself is the reason why taking a year off and homeschooling your kids or exploring the world is a, is a great idea. You don't come up with those ideas when you're in suburban London, I don't think. But you don't, I think you don't come up with them from a textbook. I think you come up from them from, I'm a really big believer in learning by doing, and I think just doing also sparks a lot of um, curiosity in children, especially cross-cultural living. I mean, we grew up in Ballarat. It's a big monoculture there, and um, I love going home. It's really familiar, and it's a safe place to go back to our family and friends, but I just like the monoculture. I mean, the multiculture. I just yeah. love all the different uh, things. Yeah. Yeah, and as far just... as education goes, I can really recommend homeschooling. Anyone that's sitting on the fence with it, like when we started it, we had to literally travel with 35 kilos of books. Now Finn's doing grade 12. He does it through the Victorian virtual school, so he's doing what I did at high school. Um, okay, a couple of things. His lessons are 12 minutes long. Finn can't sit still for any time. He's probably a bit like me in that sense. The lesson goes for 12 minutes. And the films are so well edited that no word is wasted. He always understands what's going on. You have private teachers with it. You've got full access to them all the time. 
and um, they're very enthusiastic, the homeschool teachers. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, and it works. We don't have, it's not top-heavy for us. That's the biggest question. What about friendships, and what about do you have to do all the work as a parent? No, you don't have to do any work as a parent, like none. We don't, don't even want to have that relationship with Finn because we drive each other crazy, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. it gets a bit... Mm-mm. Um, so that, was that based out of um, COVID or was that based out of uh, Bali, as in the, you wanted to get into the Australian system while living in Bali? Yeah, so this, he was been doing the Australian system before COVID happened. So this was just, it was just the perfect extension of it. But kids, you know, like when we were travelling around the world, Dali, she had maths teachers, everyone from me, I helped her out with a bit of maths, but she also had like, a physics university lecturer from the University of New York in Goa. We were living on the beach in West India for a while, and she just met this lady. I think she was maybe 60 years old, and she taught Dali maths. And she just had exposure to friends that were, you know, three or four years old, right up until 70 years old. So they had the kids just had this, you know, because we often get asked, what about their forming of their friendships? How does that go? But it's, it's they find their way with that. Enormously, and it's very, it's kind of varied too. No, it's uh, it's certainly a different experience now that Lockie has just survived his first term at boarding school, weekly boarding school, like traditional English style, you know. Um, okay, yeah, also, <laughs> so that's no, going really well. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, he's yeah. loving it down there. Um, it's down in Brighton, down on the coast, so um, yeah, but it's, okay. it's no right or wrong. I'm not saying homeschool's better, it just really fit, it fits with our family because yeah. we. We're just global, you know, we just, we move about the whole time. So Finn's education didn't have to get interrupted. You know, we were just in Europe now for two months and he just does school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. Um, actually, what, so what's Dali doing now? She, you say she's an artist. Yes. So she went to New York to study fashion. That so also came out of Nalu that, you know, they started their own clothing um, brand when they were quite young just to raise money for the school uniforms. And Dali ended up going to school in Parsons School of Design in New York. And that all stopped because um, all the students have lost all their visas for America because it's all online now. So now she's actually in Amsterdam and she's studying um, art at the Rietveld Academy in Amsterdam, which we're very happy about because she's back around family and friends. And as a dad, I feel a lot better with her in Amsterdam than in New York City. It was a bit of a wild ride there. Yeah, I'm sure. So don't be scared if you do homeschooling with your children that they don't make the cut academically, like, or creatively, or that they don't find their way. You know, they do without too much forcing. And I'm pretty sure the the whole planet has had an experience of homeschooling this year forced upon them by the the madness. So, you know, I think um, there are some very good strategies out there, aren't there? All programs or. You yeah, know, the, the, the way that it's all computer-based learning these days makes homeschooling so much a, an easier option, I think. It does, and for the disheartened parents that had a lot of stress around it, especially for the stay-home mums and the dad was away and the mums had to stay home, and, you know, I really have such a heart for them because they were doing school at home. They weren't doing online school. It's so different. So mm-hmm. if everyone, anyone listening to this is thinking about online schooling, don't consider that because you've done six months of school at home that that's homeschooling. It's very different. The system's so well set up and it's so well delivered that you don't have to all of a sudden understand U11 arithmetic or whatever you have to explore, you know. It's very different than that. 
they do it all. They're very good. So what does the future hold? You're just going to carry on building Singapore, um, yep. do this for a while, um, hopefully get back to travelling to Bali and Singapore when that reopens again. Yeah, I really do. I really hope that um, we can reunite with the family and get back into some sort of normal rhythm. That's the plan. And and that would be that would look something like you'd work for a month and be home for a week or something, or how that works. No, I actually fly up and back every week, Craig. I I leave Bali. I leave my home at five a.m. on Wednesday morning, and I see my first client at eleven. And I work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, and I'm back on the plane at three o'clock Saturday. Yeah, right. Yeah. Too easy. Well. Very good luck. We know where to send people from London now when they kind of... Uh... Yes, that would be great. Thanks. I, I need all the help I can get at the start, so that would be, that would be great. <laughs> well, I do hope Jonathan finds his way over to see you, so keep a lookout for an English guy who's going to triathlete, who's going to look for an adjustment. Ah, so, um, sure, I will do. Uh, cool. Well, thanks, mate. I think we should draw a line under that. We've had an amazing chat. Long overdue catch-up. Um, yes. and... uh, thanks for inviting me, Craig. I really... Really like that we could uh, use use your platform to share some stories. Nice. Yeah, um, and I'll I'll send you a link when we turn this into a podcast. So um, uh, all the best, mate. We'll uh, speak again soon. Great, Craig. Talk soon. See you, mate.